Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are here joining with us. And uh, we are in the book of Numbers. This is our Wednesday night where we take, uh, go through the Bible pretty much one verse at a time. Although in the Old Testament we cheat. Because there's just lots of it that's so boring you can't stand reading it. So we just jump over it. Uh, and uh, I explain that as we go along. But it's a good night to bring your Bibles with you. I know a lot of you don't, but you ought to get in the habit. I get it on Sunday because we just look at the big Bible on the screen there. But uh, get used to bringing your Bible. Get familiar with where you can find stuff. All right, now, we are talking about uh, Moses, children of Israel, in the uh, desert. Now, this is right after these <laughs> people refused to go into the promised land and uh, because they were whiners and complainers. And then when God said, you couldn't go the next morning, yeah, no, we can go. And they got their butts kicked. So now they are stuck, and they're basically, God's going to wait them out. Their punishment is now they're going to wander around in the, book, in, the, in the desert out there until they die off. And then their children can go in because these people were so stubborn and such whiners and belly acres at an astronomical level. So we pick it up in chapter 20 and of course right away they're whining again. And now they're whining because there's no water. We don't have any water. <laughs> we don't have any water. We don't have any water. So anyway, uh, so we pick it up in chapter 20, verse 6. Now Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. A tent of meeting, this is where the cloud would come and God would, you know, come in his glory and Moses would go in and pray and he'd actually talk with God. Uh, and, uh, uh, and by the way, this, <laughs> when God spoke to Moses, it wasn't like he speaks to us or how we feel like God is speaking to us. You know, now we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us and kind of leans and, and leads us in gentle ways if we listen and we kind of learn how to hear His voice and that kind of stuff. You know, and there's some degree of faith, and we need to encourage each other to, you know, how to really learn what God is saying to us. Not this guy. I mean, when God spoke to him, it was, hello. I mean, it was clear as a bell. There wasn't really any faith involved in this. He literally talked to him, he literally heard the words of God hitting his ears. Uh, and it was amazing. And in the beginning, God was even game for everybody doing this. You remember when they all heard God's voice, they all freaked out and said, oh, no, we don't do it anymore. Now you just do it. So he goes in, and this is where he'd always go in and talk to God. Okay, so he goes in after all the whining and belly aching about the, you know, why did you bring us out here? We're all going to die. Uh, so uh, uh, the Lord says to Moses in verse 7, he says, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. And speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. And you will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. Now, this is not the first time this has happened. You have to remember, God has done, is continues to do just amazing miracles right in front of their eyes. But they still wouldn't believe. It's amazing. Every day they'd get up, there's manna. They didn't even have to work for food. It was just there. They whined, wanted meat and then all of a sudden quail would come flying through the air they just reach out in the air and grab quail and uh, last time they were in this bad water situation uh, Moses uh, uh, dealt with the rock and water comes rushing out I think he hit the rock then the first time right and I can't remember something like that he hits the rock and boom it comes out and uh, now that's pretty impressive when you're in the middle of the desert and you go up to a rock and you hit the rock and water comes out whoa <laughs> that's pretty cool still they wouldn't believe 
because they were so stubborn. And, as I pointed out last week, not only this so stubborn, it's what 430 years of slavery will do to you. That's why you got to be careful, man, to break off the old patterns that you came out of before you came to a place of faith in Christ. Because those patterns will hang on to your head. You can be born again. God can do a miracle in your heart, can forgive you of your sins, but you can still think like the pagan used to be. That's why the Bible encourages, hey, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. We suffer from stinking thinking. And it's trying to get, if you're going to get to a place of real faith, you've got to change the way you think. And they couldn't stop. Again, understandable from a natural standpoint, 430 years of slavery. Well, I mean, you've, all your life, your grandfather's life, your great-great-grandfather's life, as far as you can go back, you're a slave, you're a pig, you're a nothing, you're dirt, you're just do what I tell you to do then you get some serious self esteem issues and and these people just uh, couldn't break their habit of being these slaves even though God was trying to make a nation out of them so when God says to them this time go over, talk to the rock and water will just come spurting out of the rock again pretty impressive so now Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him and he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and, uh, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. I mean, now Moses, Moses was always praying for him. But at times, I mean, even Moses couldn't take it anymore. You rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Bang! Bang! And water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. But now check it out. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So now remember, he had just banned all those people, 20 years and older, you don't get to come in now to the promised land. Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, these guys are going to take the next generation in. When all of a sudden God says, now you don't get to go in. What did he do wrong? Anybody know? He hit the rock. What did God tell him to do? Talk to the rock. Well, come on, isn't that just a technicality? I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, seriously, isn't this kind of strict? You know, water still came out. That's the amazing thing. He had to slam it twice, but up comes all this water out again. The been wild to see that they said wow why was so just because he hit the rock and did not speak to the rock like God had told him he now and Aaron do not get to go into the promised land this is what their whole life was about getting into the promised land now sometimes you think man wow why was that you know you have to understand something Jesus taught us this to whom much is given much is required when God starts showing up and literally talking to you in audible voices, you better pay attention, okay, to every little detail. God doesn't take these things lightly. These guys had experiences that you and I in our wildest dreams wish we could have. And when they disobeyed God in that slightest little, again, to me, it's a technicality. I, you know, I would want to, you know, speak to it, hit it, I don't care. But God was not happy. He said, talk, you hit it. Boom, now you guys aren't going in. Whoa. You know, there's an interesting scripture over in James. 
flip over to James. Hang a right. The New Testament's after, right after the book of Hebrews. In the third chapter, James, the third chapter, verse 1, James writes this. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Now, don't be in a hurry to get in charge of stuff. I want to teach. I want to do. I want to be in charge. Don't do that, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. See, there's, there's a higher standard. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And, uh, you know, God has a way of evening out everything in the end. But God gives you great abilities and great responsibilities and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Hey, you better live up to the standard. And we certainly see this big time with Moses. You know, he really was up here in terms of experience with God. And the slightest deviation God did not appreciate. So, boom, just like that, they don't get to go in. Now, these were the waters of Meribah which means quarreling. This is where these people are fighting over, <laughs> whining again. I wish we were dead. I wish we were dead. And uh, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and then where he showed himself holy among them. All right, now. Now we read about uh, Moses. He sends messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom saying, this is what your brother Israel says. We're just brothers, guys. We know. Uh, you know all about the hardships we have that have come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt. We lived there for many years. Yeah, 430. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here in Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go in any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or the left until we've passed through your territory. But Edom said, no, you can't come. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. And then he asks again in another nice way. And they said, you can't go in. All right, now this is kind of where they're at now. They are going to be wandering. And as we start reading, they're going to be going from here to here to here to here. And they're going to different places. And, and uh, you know, these other nations around them were freaked out. They didn't like this gigantic troop of people which uh, easily was over a million plus people. We don't know exactly how many people. This is a huge, this isn't like you know, a couple of camels and a chicken and a, you know, you know, a couple of people. This is, this is a huge, monstrous herd, man, <laughs> coming through. And they just kept wandering around and around and around and around and around for 40 years because they were idiots, all right? So they would come to different things and they'd have to kind of deal with the local people in that area. They weren't in the promised land yet, but these other countries around them. So these guys wouldn't let them come in and they didn't go in. By the way, they pay for it later because they eventually kick their butts. Uh, So anyway, uh, in verse 22 now, the whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. Now at Mount Hor, near uh, the border of Edom, near where they wanted to go, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people which is biblical talk for you're going to die. Okay? And uh, he will not enter the land I gave the Israelites. Why? Because he was in with Moses when they hit the rock and they were both guilty. Um, Because you both rebelled uh, against my command at the waters of Meribah. So get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up on Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. (laughs) What a drag. I mean, you know, 
people say, would you like to know when you die or do you just want to die? I just want to die. I don't want to know when I'm going to die. So anyway, he comes and says, by the way, good morning, you're going to die today. All right? So go up there and get your son and then put all your priestly garments on him and get him all set because you're going to kick the bucket. How creepy is this? All right? But this is what he had to do. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Hor on the side of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments. And here, can I take this off you, Aaron, because you're about to kick the bucket. And put some on Eleazar, his son. And, uh, and Aaron died. There he goes, on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and the whole community learned that Aaron had died. And the entire house of Israel mourned for him for 30 days. All right. Chapter 21. Now when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that, the Is- that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Again, see, these guys are always fighting. They were always fighting these nations. And then Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, Lord, we will totally destroy their cities. Well, why would God be in favor of that? Remember how we learned earlier the kind of people. These, these people were into filthy, disgusting behavior. Like you would make a normal person puke. They would sacrifice their own children to these gods. I mean, these were violent, vile, disgusting people that the judgment of God was coming on. So because they dissed them, they said, listen, Lord, if you'll be with us, we'll wipe them off the face of the earth. And uh, so the Lord listened to Israel's plea, and uh, he said, okay. So he gave the Canaanites over to them, and they completely destroyed them and their towns. So the place name was Hormah, uh, which means destruction. Now, um, so, so the judgment of God comes on them. So now, so they travel from Mount Hor along the route of the Red Sea, Route 66 out there, okay? Now, to go around Edom. They got to go around Edom. Why? Because Edom was a big bunch of jerks. They wouldn't let them get in. So they got to go around them. Well, you had 40 years to do nothing anyway, so take your time. So, um, but the people grew impatient on the way. These idiots. So they spoke against God and Moses. I mean, come on! How dumb can you be? Every time somebody speaks against God and Moses, what happens to them? Now what part of this doesn't say, don't say anything? You know what I'm saying? If every time somebody said something bad about Pastor Mark, they killed over dead, which would be too many people, I hope. But, uh, uh, but, but uh, you know, at some point you'd go, you know, I don't have anything to say about Pastor Mark. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing. I ain't saying nothing. Okay. Now that's not going to happen, obviously. But, uh, uh, but these guys, I mean, for crying out loud, at some point, at a minimum, just shut up. But they wouldn't stop. So, they cried against God and Moses and said, Why? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There's no water. Now, these are the people who just got in front of a rock and boom, water comes out of the rock. You think the last thing you got to worry about is water, right? God obviously is capable of taking care of these people. But they wouldn't stop. And we detest this miserable food. You know what food they're talking about? The manna. Remember, I mean, they are insulting God at such an unbelievable level. Well, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. Bunch of whining little snots. And they bit the people, and many Israelites died. So everybody's keeling over because there's poisonous snakes everywhere. So the people come to Moses and said, 
we've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. It's like I should have had a V8. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I got to write a book. I got to sign up for a book called Just Stop the Stupid. But, oh my goodness, people do the dumbest things in their lives. But these guys are amazing. So, they said, we sinned. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look on it and live. So he basically says, you know, get a snake on a stick. So Moses makes a bronze snake and puts it on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So here they got snake on a stick. Okay. Now they prayed, God, please take away the snakes. Did God take away the snakes? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Arr, bite all of you. So when they get bit by a snake, they were supposed to come and do what? Look at the snake on a stick. And if you look at the snake on a stick, you'd be healed. All right? Now, check this out. Look, look over at John, the Gospel of John. This, this, this again is one of those major biblical moments. We're, we're, we're hitting some major biblical moments. You know, the, the, the Bible, the New Testament will start making more sense uh, to some of you as you go through this with us and, and, and get a context of what they're talking about. So in John, the third chapter, okay, uh, John 3.16, you're all familiar with that verse? Pretty much, you see these guys, it used to be... There's some guys always at all the football games holding up John 3.16 all over the place. Uh, this, this is this verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. This is pretty much the gospel summed up in one phrase. It's a very, very famous verse. This is a powerful verse. For God so, John, you need to know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him and his son will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Christianity is all about, right? Very, very famous thing. But look at the verse, verses just before it. Okay, everybody knows this big yo mama for God to love the world. But uh, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus and talking to him about faith and trying to explain to him the whole concept of faith. And he says this in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Now you know the rest of the story. Okay? He did, if just like Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, snake on a stick, okay, and what happened? Everyone who looked up to the snake was healed. Just like that, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. This analogy that we read in Numbers, the 21st chapter, with this bronze snake scenario is the exact analogy that happens for us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because what God is saying in a sense is we have all been bitten by the poisonous snake of sin. And it is killing you. It will kill you. It doesn't kill you overnight. But make no mistake, it will suck the life out of you. It will eventually kill you. Every man, every woman, every child has been bitten by this poisonous snake of sin. And God is basically saying, as a cure, God, what can I do for this? What can I do? How do I get this right? How do I get this right? How do I get sense and meaning in my life? How do I make this work? God is saying, if you'll just look up, 
to the cross, put your faith in Jesus, you will be healed. He will forgive you of your sins. But see, people don't want to do that. We all have, everybody has their own snake bite kit. You know what I'm saying? People have been bitten by sin and stuff, and you say, oh man, my life, I'm just, I'm so miserable. What do I do? Well, here, look up at Jesus on the cross. No, no, I got my own snake bite. You can hear somewhere. I know it's here. Where is it? Here it is. Here it is, money. Money, if I just get enough money. Or, or here's another kid here. If, oh, if I, I do enough drugs and alcohol, this will make it better. Oh, if I just get enough sex or something, all this stuff. Then people all around us, all around us, are using all these kind of different snake bite kits, trying to heal the, the bite of sin and misery in their life and they're trying to think it'll make it better but they eventually (laughs) and they die now some of you have been there you have tried the snake bite kits that the world offers but at some point the grace of God comes to you and it dawns on you this isn't working and you look up and you beheld Jesus and you put your hope and your faith and your trust in him and he healed you and he removed the the sting of death inside of you that's the wonderful glory of the Christian gospel this is what happens when you look up at Jesus every time in the desert here when someone got bit by a snake if they would look up at the snake on a stick they would be healed and I'm sure there were some idiots saying I I ain't looking at no stupid snake I'll be okay I'll be fine how bad can it be Amazing. By, by the way, do you know what these idiots did with the snake eventually? Anybody know? Some of you Bible scholars out there, holler at me. They worshipped it. <laughs> they turned it into an idol. Years later, they kept the they kept the the stupid snake on a stick. And then later, years later, they're worshiping the snake on a stick. Inconceivable. These people just would not stop. Okay, so anyway then, uh, uh, we read, they, they journey to Moab. And uh, we, you can read this on your own. He just, they kept going from place to place to, uh, you know, travel around and stuff. And they'd get in these fights and, you know, or they wouldn't go in or whatever the deal was. Um, some places they would go in and they would win, you know, they totally destroy the area and da da da. It's kind of their, their life for a while. Now comes this really fascinating story in the Bible. This is in, in Numbers, the 22nd chapter. Okay? I told you we were cheating. We're skipping over the, the boring stuff. But anyway, so chapter 22. Uh, then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan from Jericho. Now Balak son of Zippor he's the guy that invented the zipper (laughs) just kidding saw that all the people what all that Israel had done to the Amorites which we just skipped over but they kicked their butts and wiped them out okay Uh, and Moab was freaked out they were terrified because there were so many people indeed Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites then the Moabites said to the elders of Midian this horde, this huge group of people that's wandering around out there, they are going to lick us, lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. They say, by the time these people get through, there's not going to be anything left. They are going to destroy us. And they were freaking out 
because nobody seems to be able to beat these people. Okay, so Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river, in his native land. And now, now check this out. They, they, they call for this prophet. Now this is one of these things in the Bible. When you read, you just kind of go, because it doesn't quite make sense, but we don't know enough about it to know how it can be. It's kind of like uh, the, uh, the wise men when Jesus was born. Okay, Wise men from the east who were basically astrologers, something the Bible forbids people to do, right? Finds and discovers the star. They know it's the Christ child's star. How did they know that? They weren't Jews. I mean, amazing, amazing. Because, you know, it's one of those things, you know, of course they come and they're a part of the, the Christmas story, but you just go, who are these guys? How do they know what's going on? How, how, how are they? Because God used them. I mean, they came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, gold, big money. Okay, and these guys didn't come like with a gold, you know, Rolex. These guys came loaded with for bear. I promise you. After these guys left, Mary and Joseph had no problem making the rent payments. After that, they were set for life. These guys brought huge amounts of wealth and laid it at the foot of this baby boy, and they worshipped him. And uh, boy, if Joseph and Mary had any questions, they'd just go, wow, check this out. I mean, this is amazing stuff. But there again, it's like, who are these guys? We have no idea. It makes no sense to us because they aren't really part of, it seems like the scheme of things and they're doing things that are kind of odd, but yet somehow God led and directed them. Who knows? I have no idea. I've heard all kinds of theories and stuff. I don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. Well, uh, Balaam is, is kind of like that. There's this prophet who these guys know when this prophet speaks a blessing on you, you are blessed. If he speaks a curse on you, hochi mama, it's over with. Okay? Now, this is not a Jew. This is not a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is not... But yet, there is this prophet whom the Lord talks to. Which about to say, it's just one of those things. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I can't begin to explain it. All I know that God has always been God and he does whatever he wants to do. Okay? But so anyway, they know about this, this prophet named Balaam. And uh, so Balak, the king, says, let's go get the prophet. Because when ba- Balak, or when Balaam gives you a curse, it's over with this guy. He's a pretty powerful guy. And it wasn't like he was this super righteous guy as far as they could say. They, they brought him money to offer him money because this guy apparently would take bribes to speak blessings and curses. But he got spake, speaks to him. Again, it's just one of those... I don't get it, Okay. But anyway, this is what happened. So Balak says, listen, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. So man, come and curse these people. So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. This guy was a diviner. He was, in a sense doing stuff that is forbidden to do. He uses something that we would call witchcraft. I mean, witchcraft, you know, stuff, again, all forbidden, you shouldn't be doing. So they go to give this guy this stuff. And when they come to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. 
Well, spend the night here, Balaam said, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So here's a guy who, again, it's, it's just dysfunctional weird, but yet he goes to God and he asks God what to say and what to do. So the Moabite princes stay there with him. Well, God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Which <laughs> is a funny question. God knows everything. He says, so who are these guys? Well, Balaam says to God, Well, it's Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people has come out of Egypt, covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. So Balaam has no idea who they are. These are the people of God. This is the chosen people, right? So these people came, I don't know, but yet God's talking to them. It's, wow, I don't get it. But anyway, so God says to Balaam, Well, don't go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So what did God tell them to do? Do not go with them. Well, the next morning Balaam got up and said to the Balak princes, look, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Again, amazing. How can he be talking to God? But he is. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, hey, Balaam refused to come with us. Well, then Balak, the king, sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely. Look at all the money, baby. I will do whatever you say. Just come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small beyond the command of the Lord my God. Wow. So now stay here tonight as the others did and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. Now this next bit gets a little bit confusing, but let me kind of put it in context for you. What did God tell him already? Don't go. Okay? Pretty clear. It's kind of like Moses hitting a rock instead of talking. I mean, God, don't mess with God. Okay? Especially when God is talking to you and you can literally hear his voice. Again, you know, for us, it's different. It's like... Just because you make a mistake, you're not going to get some big curse on you and God's going to keep you out of the promised land and stuff like that again because we are not at that level. We don't have that kind of... If you start having stuff like that, boy, you better really start paying attention because to whom much is given, much is required. All right? But so God's literally talking that he told him, don't go! So more guys come back offering more money, so he goes back again and asks God, can I go? Well, again, this ticks God off. He doesn't know that yet. But anyway, that night God came to Balaam and said, Well, since these men have come to summon you, then go with them, but only do what I tell you. Okay, now wait, God just said to go. But it was because he asked again in disobedience to God, which puts the rest of it in context. Now Balaam got up the next morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. Again, confusing. He said, Wait, you just told him to go. Well, he had just told him not to go. Okay, don't be messing with God. When God speaks to you and do something, don't be disobedient and keep pushing the issue. So anyway, God is ticked off. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So this angel comes with this big, gigantic, flaming sword. And he's going to slice Balaam in two. Okay, now, again, to whom much is given, much is required. If you don't exactly get something right, God isn't going to slice you in two. Okay, but this is what's going to happen to this guy. So, Balaam's riding his donkey... And his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. 
So, so the donkey sees it, but the prophet doesn't see it. And again, what kind of prophet this? I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I, I would. If you were to ask me, I'd call him a false prophet. But he's obviously hearing from God. It's just again, I can't understand it. But anyway, the, the donkey sees it. Balaam doesn't see it. So the donkey goes ah and goes off the road. Well, uh, where am I? <laughs> so she turned off the road. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. So he starts beating the snot out of the donkey. Okay, the stupid donkey. What are you doing? Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls. So the angel moves to get in a different position. Well, going along, the donkey sees the angel again. She presses close to the wall. Ah! Crushing Balaam's foot against it. Which just ticks off Balaam. I mean, he's mad, you stupid donkey. And he starts beating the snot out of the donkey. Well, then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the left or the right. So he just he gets even in a more uh, uh, tightened place. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, well now she, she can't just go off the road and she can't just squeeze up to get away. So she just lay down under Balaam. And he was angry and beat her with his staff and just started wailing on the donkey because it's so mad. What is the matter with this stupid donkey? Now check this out. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and the donkey talks to Balaam he's so mad uh, 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 and the donkey says what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times and Balaam is so mad he answers him <laughs> have you ever gotten mad when you just make no sense we've all done this right or you're just not even logical He's beating the donkey. Why are you hit me? And he says, because you made a fool out of me. I mean, I would have went, oh. Man, my cats start talking to me. I'm freaking out, man. I'm telling you right now. You made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And, and the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? <laughs> He's talking. Which, which you have always ridden to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? The donkey is now reasoning with him. He is still talking back to the donkey. And he goes, no, I, I, guess, I guess you've been a pretty good donkey. <laughs> now, you've got to appreciate the humor of this to a teenage boy. When I was growing up, reading this story, because we had the King James Version. And the word for donkey in King James is ass. And there's nothing quite as hilarious to a teenager as a talking ass in the Bible. You can imagine the fun we had with this very spiritual text here. <laughs> when your ass starts talking, you better... Anyway, never mind. you know what I'm trying to say here. All right. So... <laughs> It's in the Bible. Don't yell at me. <laughs> so then the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and then he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So then he bowed low and fell face down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. I told you not to go with him in the first place. Well, the donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. Otherwise, I'd have certainly killed you by now. But I would have spared her. 
I love God sticking up for the poor donkey. Well, Balaam said to the angel, I, I've sinned. I, I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. I'll go back. And the angel says, no, go with these guys. Now, I'd be really confused by now. <laughs> some mixed signals here. The last time he said go, you almost killed me. And now you're saying go again? Do you really mean it? You know, anyway. He says, no, go with them, but only tell, speak what I tell you to. So Balaam went ahead with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I, am I not able to reward you? Dude, I got a lot of money. I can take care of you. Why, 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 why didn't you come? And he said, well, I, I've come to you now. Balaam replied. But can I say just anything? I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Well, by now Balaam's learned his lesson. Then Balaam went with Balak to wherever. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. I don't know if they knew what they were sacrificing to. Again, this is very, very interesting to me. Uh, the next morning, Balak stood, took Balaam up to Bamoth of Baal, and from there he saw part of the people. So Balaam says, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. And so he did all, they did this and they offered up the sacrifice to God. Then Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off uh, to a barren height and God met with him. And Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. The Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and he said, go back to Balak and give him this message. So he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering with all the princes of Moab. And then Balaam uttered his oracle. And he starts speaking blessings over the people. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab, from the eastern nations. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom God has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. They're not heathens like everybody else. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my end be like theirs. So he speaks this blessing of favor over Israel. Well, Balak says to Balaam, what what, what have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies, but you haven't done that. You blessed them. And he says, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Well, again, I don't understand pagans, but Balaam thought, or Balak thought, well, maybe we're in the wrong place. And maybe we get better reception at another location. So, so he takes Balaam and they move. And he said, well, come with me to another place where you can see them. You'll only see part, uh, but not all of them because they're so huge. And from there, curse them for me. You couldn't do it here, so do it over here. So he, he took him to the field of Zophim on the top of Pisgah and there he built seven altars the same deal, okay? And then blah, 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 same thing. So then he turns around and he again speaks great blessings over them. You can read it on your own time there. Uh, the, the great blessings over, over Israel. Well then verse 25, Balak says to Balaam, well don't curse them or bless them at all. What are you doing? And Balaam answered, did I not tell you? I must do whatever the Lord says. Then Balak says to Balaam, Well, come here, let me take you to another place. (laughs) 
No, maybe better reception over there. I don't know what they were thinking. I, I will say this. It, it reminds me of some people who are really, really, really stubborn and fighting God. Who God clearly makes his will known to them. And they go, well, yeah, God, well, what, what if I approach it this way? And God makes it clear what you're doing is wrong. Say, yeah, but, but God, what if, what if I really mean this and I really feel this? And, and God says, it's wrong. It's, it's like this dumb pagan. Christians kind of constantly trying to come from different viewpoints and different ways of getting around stuff that God doesn't want them to do and trying to reason with God. But just because you can move all you want, right is right, wrong is wrong, and just because you view it from a different angle, you know, people debate with me, you know, about something that's blatantly wrong, and, well, well yeah, I know, but, what, but, you know, what about this? Again, they're just trying to get from a different angle. Look, you can look at it from any angle you want. God's word does not change. When he says to do the right thing, you need to do the right thing. If he calls a behavior wrong, you know, adultery, for example, wrong. Oh, I know that, but, but, but Pastor, I, I really love him. See, he says, I've got a different viewpoint. It doesn't matter, it's wrong. Well, well, we didn't mean for it to happen, we just kind of fell in love. I don't care! It's wrong! You can dance around it all day long. It's still the same answer. Just like this pagan. A lot of people do that. So when he changes locations again, and they do it again, and he opens his mouth and just blesses Israel. Well then, in verse 10 of chapter 24, then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together. I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. So now you're not going to get any money. Well, Balaam answered back to Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me? Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people. But come, let me warn you of this people. What this people will do to your people in the days to come. And he starts prophesying again. And now he starts saying how these people are going to kick their butts. Everybody around there. I mean, he just goes through, uh, you know... uh, Verse 18, Edom will be conquered. Remember Edom, you can't come through our property. <laughs> They're going to get theirs. All right? Seir, uh, all these different people are, are going to get basically their butts kicked. Um, and again, you can read all that on your own. So then Balaam got up and returned home and Balak went on his way. Now, how are we doing for time? We just got for a few minutes here. Um, okay, I can't get into it. We'll wait and come back next Wednesday and pick it up it's an amazing thing here here they tried everything they could to bring a curse on Israel and it wouldn't work and then Israel brings a curse on itself by doing something very interesting what they do it's kind of the same thing a lot of people do today that brings the disfavor of God into their lives It's like God is surrounding you with his grace and his kindness. And he says to Satan and everything in the universe, you cannot touch this one. I love this one. She is mine. But then we go out and we do stuff that offends God. And now we get ourselves in trouble. And that's what's going to happen as we read the rest of the story and find out how they got Israel to get in trouble. Amazing stuff. All right. See you all next Wednesday for that. 
Let's have our ushers come forward and take up the offering this evening. Our band can come back up. Wow, amazing stuff. Anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for what uh, your word uh, can teach us. We thank you, first of all, that it was recorded and written down so we could look back at this. And uh, as your word says in the New Testament, we should learn from these things. Help us to learn obedience uh, uh, and not disobedience by just looking at the example of those who tested you in so many ways and refused to allow the blessings of God into their lives. Help us, Lord, not to be like that. Help us to be obedient so that we can walk in the constant blessings and protection of God just like the Israelites did. And we thank you for it. Bless this time we pray now, this offering. Help us to use this money, Lord, for the advancement of your kingdom. Continue to provide for your people and for your work, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.